Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. We covered that the last two Sundays and into the meat of what we're going to do tonight. Verse six, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divide the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are and father that you have through grace and mercy and love chose to reveal yourself and have revealed yourself through your word. And so as, um, I teach tonight, but as we dive into your word together, all holding the, the book, this living word, uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me and anything that's from me, would it just fall by the wayside? But everything that's from you, I ask that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would plant seed in us that would bear fruit in our lives outside this church, outside these four walls, in our families, our communities, our workplaces, that we would be a people uh, of redemption and transformation as you've shown us in your word. And as we unpack Genesis, Lord, would you, this foundational book of scripture that starts it all off, um, Lord, would you give us fresh eyes to look upon it, and would you stretch us as you already have? For your glory, for your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a seat. Okay, so every week I've covered, there's two verses in particular. There's multiple in Scripture, but as we're going through Genesis, um, if you guys remember, the theme is we're going to look at this not as the building of the house where we're looking at the nuts and bolts and the material, the lumber and the drywall and the foundation and the nails, but we're looking at this as how did God build a home? And so as we look at that, there's two verses in the New Testament that I'm constantly referencing because it's the foundation of, um, as we go through as looking at these function that God's created, and I think is the bigger arch of the story of Genesis, I don't want to um, take away from the fact that God has made everything. And so... Um, I'm just going to read through them. I've read through them every week so far, but it's Colossians 1, 16. And that happened to be, if you're at our Sunday morning service, our memory verse for the week, that uh, our year of biblical literacy that we're doing as a family. If you want to get involved with that, there's a card. As you go in the lobby, there's a colorful card. It has a 52 verses, one for every week that we're all memorizing together as a congregation. Um, so this week happened to be Colossians 1, 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And then uh, John 1, 3. All things were made by him and without, without him was not anything made that was made. So from that, we already see, look, God existed and we can't really wrap our minds around this, but God existed and everything came from him. So now we don't need to prove that. Um, 
And this will, this already stretches our brain, but we don't need to prove that through Genesis. We see that in the new Testament. So now we are free to look at Genesis and see it an overarching story that it's telling. So those are foundational scriptures as we're going through Genesis. And then just to, uh, Recap, we're going through uh, verse 6 through 8 tonight. But a quick recap, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, uh, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1 of Genesis, verse 1 of the Bible. Uh, we see this a lot in scripture. These are the genealogies of, of so-and-so. Uh, we'll even see at the end of Genesis that it's bookended. This is a literary intro. This is the beginnings of how God created What's up there? What's down here? Let me tell you how he did it. So that's what that verse is saying. And then he goes into it. And the first thing we see are things. So, and the earth was formed without form and void. You remember that Hebrew word we learned, tohu vavohu, wild and waste. The world, the world was out without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So we already see things there. Um, so that's, that was the beginning of us stretching our brains and, and looking at this differently. And then we learned last week that God created light and light was as soon as he named light, he then named it, he created light and then he renamed it. Right. So he, he created light, which is or in Hebrew, and then he immediately called light Yom, which is day. And so we see that light was a metonymy, uh, which is a figure of speech. It's, it's a part representing a whole. So remember we were saying, if I said, I got a new set of wheels, you guys would understand. I got a car. It's a part that represents the whole. So when God said, when he created light and he divided the darkness and the light. And then we see at the end of that verse that we see, then there was evening. It was morning that in Genesis, that first day that God is creating a period of day, a period of light, which is day and a period of dark, which is night. And God created time. So God, the beginning of time has begun there and now we're in day two. So we're going to start unpacking day two. Uh, it starts at verse six. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. This God made the firmament and divided the waters, which were under the firmament from the waters, which were above the firmament. And it was so, so a lot of water talk in there. Yeah. So again, if you guys remember, is this the first? Yeah. You guys remember this slide? I think I did this the very first week. So this is the picture of an ancient Israelite, how, uh, it's, it's getting a little ahead. Well, it for sure is getting ahead, but, um, we can see the firmament, the expanse, uh, in where's the laser. There you go. So here's the waters above the firmament. And then here's the firmament, this dark thing here. So remember we covered it. One of the first things I was saying is, Hey, this is wrong. We know that this isn't scientifically right. Correct. Flat earth There's waters down here. And then there's this solid thing above us, this blue solid thing that's holding back waters up here. And that the sun, which we haven't got to, this is getting ahead, but that the sun and the moon and the stars are all within they're underneath the firmament. It's not correct. Right. And so that rattles us when we look at Genesis to prove to us the science. I think we're asking the wrong questions of Genesis. I think we're asking it to, to give us things that the author was not trying to give us. 
And as you remember, I'll keep repeating it so that we stay in this mindset is that we have to translate not only the language, which is done for us. We're all reading English scriptures. That's not the original language. So somebody translated that we have to translate the culture and even cultures in our own time. We have a hard time understanding or we have miscommunications through culture. Um, I've gone to Thailand a few times on mission trip. I used to go every year. Uh, we have really close friends that run an orphanage over there for specifically for kids that are immediately in danger of being sold into the sex trade. And there's a cultural thing over there. You don't show people the bottom of your shoes. You don't show people the bottom of your feet. It's, it's a cultural difference. And that's today. And how I can offend somebody by putting my foot up and aiming my, I don't even want to do it. Cause now I said it's offensive and I almost shot my heel at Cynthia. And I was like, I will never do that to you. <laughs> I don't want to show the bottom of my foot to, to somebody. I don't want to put my feet up and aim my feet at somebody as I'm in Thailand. Cause that's, that's offensive to them. And that's in our own culture, our own time period, let alone these are ancient Israelites. This culture is so different than ours, so we need to translate not only the language, but translate the culture. And you've heard me say the Bible was written for you. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. So to respect the author and to know the author's original intent, to respect that intent, we need to look at who he was writing to and what it meant to them before we can start inserting our own definitions, our 21st century Westerner definitions on those things. And that's why I keep saying it's like we're reading somebody else's mail. The truths transcend culture, but the medium in which it was written is within a culture. Does that all make sense? Cool. Some head nods. Give me a head nod. Ortiz got me. Makes sense. Cool. So foundational, we have to, we have to know that. So it's, this isn't, we don't have to elevate ourselves to a certain, um, intellectual state to understand it. The truths transcend culture. We can read scripture and, and get through it. I don't want to make the scripture sound elitist, but at the same time, we need to not impose our own definitions and our own ideas on scripture. We need to first be looking, what did the author, what was the author trying to get across? And we learn that by doing as best we can to see how it would be understood by the audience that he wrote it actually to it's for all of us, but it was actually to somebody. And so he's writing it within that culture. Um, so as we go through this, as I was saying, there's a lot of water in this passage, right? Let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters and let divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the ferment. So we see the ferment here. There's two concepts we're going to unpack. Um, as we go through this one is waters because it's all over the scripture. In ancient cosmology, and stick with me because this is going to, I'll land somewhere as I go through this. In ancient cosmology, water is really, really, really common. Water is, um, it's the beginning of a lot of pagan creation cosmology stories. I'll give you one uh, which would have been familiar to ancient Israelites. And again, hang on, because we're going we're gonna to get somewhere through this. In, Babylon, uh, in Babylonian uh, creation story, there was uh, Ops, Opsu and Tiamat were two gods. And one was 
Uh, Opsu was freshwater and Tiamat was saltwater. And they were the two gods. Everything was water. It was just them two. And then they birthed all the other gods still contained in water, not creating other things still within water. And then, uh, th- those gods, their kids decided they were going to kill them. And so they killed Opsu, which was the father. And then at that time, the God who ascended to the chief God was Marduk and Marduk killed, uh, Tiamat, which was the female God. And so it says in that, creation account story that he cut her in two like an oyster and one half of her became earth. So her head is mountains and the other half of her became the firmament that held back the waters. It's very similar, right? Okay. Does does that rattle anybody right off the bat? It's kind of weird, right? Okay, so here's the thing is I totally understand. I'm going to try to walk us through this. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of pagan ancient cosmology creation stories that are similar to our creation account. But we have to understand that these ancient Israelites who's writing Genesis is living in that world. So imagine if we can try to. Think of yourself in our time, which is easy because this is where you live. So to someone thousands and thousands of years ago or ahead of us, let's go ahead of us, thousands of years ahead of us, wouldn't they see, could you see how they would be rattled in that we believe we have some very strikingly similar things with Mormonism? We have some strikingly similar things with a lot of religions, false religions in our time, right? It's, but that doesn't rattle us, right? Because why? Yeah, we, we, we know the distinctives. So we're, we're defining our religion. We're defining that what we have is different. Not, we're not shaken by the similarities, Because we know there's a forfeit, there's a counterfeit for everything good thing that God has created. But we know the distinctives that we have. We know what defines us because we'll know this or not that. So again, that's, I think, the fair way of then looking at the creation account here. The fact that they're similar genuinely derails a lot of of people. And is that, well, if they're similar... Then they're, then they're all pagan, and I can't believe the Bible anymore. I, not true. Let me point out to you now the differences. The Christian account, this ancient Israelite account, is the only one where the gods don't come out of a place of um, battle, where they're not fighting for, oh, and then there's this one God. It's the only one where there's one God. I think that's something that God was trying to get across to the author of Genesis is that this isn't a bunch of gods. This is what's going to be different to you. You, you can't wrap your mind around. I'm not giving you the science. Remember we said we were, I was explaining to you guys that the author of Genesis isn't going through scientifically. And when God created light, he's God's explaining to this ancient Israelite, what a photon is. He's not giving him that information. He's not tackling scientific God's reaching him in his culture with what he can understand and revealing himself to him. Does that make sense? So it's how God 
then is speaking to us. We understand it within our culture. We, the same thing is happening here. This author is not this scientific genius that had every answer. His picture of earth is wrong. But again, we're asking the wrong questions of the author. We're asking the wrong questions of Genesis. So when we see similarities, don't be shaken. It's the, it's the culture. It's the understanding of the world. They didn't have the sciences. So again, I think I've said it multiple times. A lot of times we need to forget everything that we've learned in, in school, in science class, walk outside. Isn't all this really what you would get? Isn't it kind of intuitive? The firmament, doesn't the firmament actually make sense? You go outside and there's a a blue dome. Would a blue dome not make sense if you didn't ever take any class telling you otherwise? Right? It makes a lot of sense. It's looks round and I, it hits over there and it hits that horizon and it goes up here. I don't know how high it goes and water falls from it. So there must be water up there because occasionally water seeps through. So this is their understanding of it. So when we look at Genesis to answer these scientific questions, we're asking the wrong questions. Um, So as they look similar, we're going to see this. Don't be shaken by it because we have the truth. And if it, if uh, in a way, I hope it shakes you because it makes us dive into the word. I was explaining to uh, our staff and volunteers before. Um, I know my intentions. I want to, I want to get truth across and sometimes I'll be a terrible communicator. And sometimes I can, I'm, I fully am capable of getting stuff wrong. But then the thing that comforts me is I know you all have a Bible. And so you can go and dig in. And then at the end of the day, I'm happy because, well, if it made you think and made you go, well, wait a minute, I got to figure that out. If it makes you think, if it makes you dive into your, to your Bible during the week and affirm some, some stuff in your head, then awesome. That's good. We should be studying. Um, so the difference is one God, not many. Uh, God is one God, not many. He created everything. He didn't create some things. He, in the ancient Babylonian one, have, I'm saying God, the two gods were fresh water and salt water. So it's like God is like, well, then fresh water and salt water are God type thing. So no, God created all things. That's the difference with our God. He didn't do it through conflict, but he did it through his creative holiness that he created all things. And then that's, we see tohu vavohu. It was, um, it was without order. And here we get into water. So again, I'm, I'm going to unpack water. Water is a common theme in ancient cosmology. It's a common thing uh, within scripture. And we see it in the very beginning, right? What is it? Verse two. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So this waters that he divided is this tohu vavohu that we talked about in verse two. So what is, what is this picture of water that we're supposed to be getting from this water is the picture of order, not yet done order not yet taken. It's the picture of before God has inserted and started to do his functionary work. So the wild and waste, it has no purpose yet. Um, It's just 
sheer, if I can explain it, because God has created, it's just God's sheer, mighty holiness, magnificence creating. And just, he's making all sorts of things. And now God is creating order and he's putting things together. And that water is a representative of that. Chaos is a hard word because chaos uh, infers to us evil. Um, so pre-order, the analogy would be, um, we are, I'm in the middle of moving into, we're trying to move into our new house. And so we move all the boxes in the boxes are in the house. They're not in order yet, but they're boxes full of things. That's the chaos. Now order is then taking clothes and putting them in the closet and dragging the couch into the living room and hanging a TV on the wall. It's taking all those things and then creating order. So that's the, the picture of water through scripture. And we're going to run through, cause I think it's really awesome. And maybe it's the surfer in me that really thinks the water thing is awesome, but we're going to run through how we see it in scripture. So fast forward a little bit to, so the fall happens in Genesis three and then, uh, well, let me go. The fall happens in Genesis three genealogy of Adam happens in Genesis five. Okay. Genesis seven. Anybody know what happens in Genesis seven? It involves a lot of water. The flood happens, right? So water covers the earth. Do you start to get a picture of what? Pre-order the water, the tohu vavohu. So the earth is covered in water and God has like this, this second Adam is Noah and his family who are counted righteous. And then the waters recede, the land appears, which is, we'll see again. Uh, we'll see it next week that the water recedes and land appears. And then anybody guess? So that's Genesis seven, that the earth is flooded water everywhere. Can anybody can anybody guess what happens in Genesis 10? Genesis three was the fall. Genesis five was the genealogy of Adam. Genesis 10 is the flood. No, no, no. Seven is the flood. Genesis 10 is genealogy of Noah. So you see the picture that God's painting here of Adam, this creating order, Adam, he, he, Man, I'm trying every week. I'm trying not to give away so much for day seven, which I keep saying I can't wait for. He creates Adam, Adam and Eve fall. The world goes terrible. Like summarize that real quick, then floods the earth. So it's God taking his, uh, his order, God taking his order out back out and saying, here's, here's without my, my structure. Earth filled with water has this righteous one. So it's that picture of the, the wild and waste. Uh, the one that I love, if you have your Bible, Mark, you should have your Bible, your church, Mark four forty one. another picture of water. I'm going to go so over tonight too. Uh, I'll read it real quick on the same day when evening had come. So this is the story of Jesus calming the waves. This is so epic to me, though. 
On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along the boat as went. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boats that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said, to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So this is Jesus calming the sea. I think you can already make the connection that this is, so they're asking the question, who can this be that he can even calm the wind and the sea. I'm going to try to even blow up our brains a little bit more. So, um, and you might struggle with this one. I feel like I keep saying that, but it's all right. We'll get through it. So going all the way back, Genesis one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters spirit right there. That word is Ruach in Hebrew. Everybody put your hand over your mouth and say, just say hello. Okay. So you feel that that is your Ruach. That is, there's multiple translations for that, but that is your Ruach. That is the Ruach that we, the spirit of God. It is also translated wind. So, uh, when God sent the locust to on the Egyptians, he sent a Ruach from the East, a wind from the East with the locusts. So you can go home cause I am already going to be over. You can go home and do your own study through the spirit of God and the wind. But now let's read through who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him. What picture would these men have? What are they asking there? Genesis one and the wind of God moved upon the face of the waters. He's God. Jesus is God. The one way back in Genesis who, when there was just the wind and the sea, put it all together. This is the same. This guy on our boat is literally doing the exact same thing that the creator that Genesis is doing. Is that not awesome? Uh, I mean, that one, I am so stoked on that one. Um, And then another one. So we have old Testament one, new Testament, Matthew four. And then I always really struggle with this. Brett, I for sure know you struggle with this revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. I honestly, as a high school student, I mean, let's be honest. I, I probably yesterday, I struggle with that verse as a guy who loves the ocean that always bummed me out. I quietly suffered with that verse of God made a beautiful ocean. I love the ocean. It's one of the places when I'm surfing by myself that I feel most 
connected, not in a weird hippie way, but like I'm sitting out in creation, quiet, seeing God's creation. And that's the thing that's not going to be part of heaven. Like what didn't make any sense to me, but then we're going to see that God creates the seas and he calls it good. So what's happening here? Well, if we follow the imagery of what water is in scripture, what water is to the original reader, how the author intended it, that this water is, is scary. It's untamable. It's the, it's the, we can't make order of it. We don't know. Like these waves are coming up and we don't know what's underneath it. They don't have, they don't have submarines or snorkel gear. They don't know what's down there. This is a, this is a scary world. And so this imagery we have in revelation is again, pointing all the way back to that. God is going to bring back He's restoring. That's what the story of the Bible is. Not that we would leave this earth and that we're going someplace else. Like let the earth burn. This place is terrible. We're going to heaven, but that God is coming. Jesus, particularly our King is coming back to restore Eden. He's not abandoning this first thing that he started and he's coming back. And so we see that he takes the wild waters and wind of Genesis and creates a beautiful garden out of it. And so that's what revelation is reflecting. Not that God hates the ocean that he created. He's saying that there will be in the order that God will be pleased in the order because the ocean creates or the ocean is the place of out of order. Make sense. Cool. So when you see as you'll probably come across other stuff as you're reading, um, just water, your understanding of water. Cause in our culture, we don't have that. We're not as, fearful of the oceans. We've, we still don't know everything about the oceans, but we've tamed them far more than these, these ancient Israelites have. Um, so then verse eight, so we've unpacked water. We've did a little side trail on Ruach, which please go study, uh, Ruach in spirit and spirit and wind and how it's used. It's, fascinating. And maybe someday we'll do it on Sunday night. Uh, but verse eight, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So just real quickly, um, the King James version, the new King James version, call it firmament. The NIV calls it a vault, uh, NASB and ESV call it an expanse. So it is the, uh, the firmament was viewed as a solid thing. Um, it, it would be viewed as I'm trying to remember now who the, who the author was, but it like, a one of its root words, it's referring to a shield. I can't remember exactly what it is, but this is a, it's a solid, the firmament is solid. Now what God is doing. So here's, I don't even know how to like describe this, but here's the waters, whatever it may be. And then God makes this space. So the firmament is referred to as this solid barrier. But if you're reading ESV or NASB where it says expanse, it's talking of God created this space. So the firmament below the solid to the earth, 
So what we would view as our atmosphere, that's what he's talking about here. Um, and then just so we're not confused and God called the firmament heaven. Okay. What picture do you have in your head when you hear heaven? Someone be brave. Oh, Brett, you almost baited me into day seven. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So when we think of heaven, we think of that, right? Like up in the clouds and God's place, God's space, right? Yeah. Right. So we need to be really intentional how we read through the old Testament with heaven. Um, not cause it's trying to trick us, but again, we have to translate culture. This may be surprising. This may not be surprising to you. Old Testament Israelites, ancient Israelites were not concerned with heaven and hell. That wasn't the main point of their existence. They were not, you know how our witnessing tactic, which I think we veered away from it, but it's like, do you know where you're going when you die? That was not a thought to them. Them dying and going somewhere. That's not how they live. That's, that wasn't their culture. Their culture was to, okay, we serve God and God has called us to be these people. And as we follow him, our collective people will be blessed and go into the promised land and they will experience God's blessing here on the earth. Now there is, I am in no way saying there's no doctrine of heaven or hell. It's all over new Testament. I'm trying to get us into the mindset of the, the reader who the author is writing to. Um, he's not speaking of how we view heaven. I think we immediately go heaven pearly gates, all that. So how this is translated, does anybody have a version that says sky? Brett. Yeah. Yeah. So heavens skies. So when you, so again, like that's just for clarity's sake, but in God called the firmament, it's the skies. So we can look up at the heavens, right? And my, when I say like, I'm looking at the heavens, am I saying I'm looking at, I, I see multiple throne rooms and multiple things. You guys understand that as like the skies, right? So we have to read it like that as you're going through your translator, whoever translated your Bible, uh, I would trust did their best to translate it. But this is, um, he's talking about skies here. So knowing that our, as, as we read through this, knowing that leaving a place, well, leaving a place as our main goal, as their main goal is following God and ultimately being paid off by getting, getting out of a broken world and going somewhere else. Not only was not the ancient Israelites view, that is a lazy view on our part that we shouldn't be thinking that way. Our view should be, and I kind of did it even with we, as we touched on revelation real quick, that God has created earth and we're going to, this will be a little overview of what we're going to learn in Genesis that God has in his greatness created a, a place 
for him and humans to dwell, which we saw in Eden. And then humans violated that. And in his grace, God didn't snuff us out right then and there. But he withdrew himself knowing that we can't exist in his presence in that sinful state. And the story that we are still in is not that we are then, we say a sinner's prayer and we are rescued and we get to leave this broken earth and everything we hate about this earth and go somewhere else. The story of the gospel, the story of scripture is telling us that Jesus is coming back to redeem this earth and he's to find us busy about his work, establishing his kingdom here on the earth for the new heaven and the new earth. So even our mindset, having a New Testament doctrine of heaven and hell, should not be centered on, hey, I'm saved, and I'm just going to, I'm waiting, I'm just trying to keep my head down because this world is in bad shape, and I'm, I know where I'm going. That's, that's a lazy doctrinal view. Our view should be is that I have been saved, and now my work begins, is that my king is returning And I want to be found being about my father's business here on the earth. This is a, this is a good place that sin has broken and God, Jesus is going to ultimately come back and redeem it. And that's why when we see in revelation, it's so reminiscent. I don't even know if that's the right word, but it points back to Eden, that Jesus, that God is reestablishing the place where heaven and earth collide and coexist in the new heaven and the new earth. Does that make sense? I say that all the time, but I really mean it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's our goal as believers. So as we go through Genesis again, I keep saying it and it's how I'm baiting you to come back, but it's also, it's really true as we go to day seven. um, I really think when we get to day seven, this is all going to be the bigger picture. You're going to see, um, hopefully I hope I'm able to show you something maybe they haven't seen before. Cause I like when that happens to me, when someone shows me something that I just haven't read it that way before. Um, but when we get to day seven, you're going to see, I think the overarching picture. And again, if it's not of the, the house, it's not of the lumber of the specific days. And I know we're going through specific days and in a way it's painful for me cause I'm trying to allude to day seven, but I also don't want to give it away because that sermon is going to be four hours long and you guys are going to have to bring snacks and coffee. Uh, but day seven, super rad where we're going to see the overarching message. What I think the original author was trying to get across to the people. It wasn't the science. Um, cause again, if it was about just the things that God created, there's a lot missing in the creation of material account in Genesis, right? Do we see the creation of gravity in there? We don't see, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things missing. I think we're asking the wrong questions, but if we view it this, uh, if we view it a different way, it's, it's answering the right questions. I had one more slide. Uh, I don't know if this is profitable, but I had it. So might as well use it. This is Egyptian, uh, Egyptian and creation account, Egyptian cosmology. So this, you can guess, I mean, see the stars. This is their firmament. This is the firmament. And then this is representative of the people who are living within it. So I meant to show you that back when I was doing that one. 
but don't let this stuff rattle you again, because somebody makes a counterfeit doesn't mean that we have to abandon the real thing, right? And know that it's not the similarities of, of, um, the fact that we have things that other people have Christians accounts that are close to ours, but it's the distinctives that we have. We serve one God and there's no other gods. He didn't go to war with any other gods. It was him and him alone at some time before time existed on day one at some time. And we can't wrap our minds around it. There was nothing. And it was God, a triune God. And think about that one for a little bit. I can't, but there was a singular God and created all things by him and through him. All things were made the, the verse that we memorized today. And so again, as I said last week, as we go into a time of prayer and communion, I went over, um, I don't know how we're going to make up time, but whatever, we'll figure it out. But as we go into prayer and communion, I pray, Oh, sorry guys. What did we create? Day two, we didn't even cover it. What did we create? Oh, uh, here, you'll answer it for yourself. So you walk outside, firmament, right. So now you walk outside, what do you experience in that space, in the firmament, in our atmosphere? What do you experience? Air. Yeah, what else? What do you check? What have, what have you been checking on your phone lately? Weather. Seasons. Right? So you look up and you see dark clouds and you think what? Rain. You look up and you see blue sky. You think? Surfing. <laughs> right. So we see in this, again, which I'm trying to do the functionaries of this. So we see that God created time and then God created these, this weather, the, what we experience. He created seasons. Cool? So we have day one and day two. And so again, that's, I'm, I'm glad I said this. It got me back onto it. So as I said last week, every time you look at your watch, be amazed at the glory of God that he created time. And now every time that you go outside and you experience any kind of weather at all, don't think, Oh man, God got it wrong. That's not, the sky's not solid. Don't think that. Think, wow, God created the weather and how it waters crops and how the weather works on our planet and it's functioning and it's functioning well that we have seasons and that all those, think of how much we rely on seasons, right? You take out our seasons. I mean, California, we don't really have seasons. So what is going on? It's already God's judgment. <laughs> but if you have, you have summer across the globe year round, right? Bad shape, bad shape. So again, these ancient Israelites are seeing not that God created things, but whoa, who is this God that everything works? This is like a machine. It's so well put together and it's working and it's reliable and we can function within this world because we can rely on the order that was placed in the world. So every time you look at your watch, be amazed at the glory of God. Every time you experience weather and you experience seasons, whether you're in California or not, 
be amazed by the glory of God that he created that, that we rely on that. 